Missed the first entry deadline from Umbrella Awards? You still have time to submit an entry before the final deadline, but only until midnight Friday, 28 April. Get your name amongst the very best individuals, teams, and companies who have been making waves across the marketing, advertising, media, production, PR, and comms sectors. Agency bosses respond to the pitch-a-palooza environment and Twitter gets the blues after pushing its subscription business. Both of those discussed before a chat with global DEI expert and Mumbrella 360 keynote speaker Azure Antoinette who challenges the media and marketing industry to go beyond the all-too-common talk that plagues us and prevents action in an extremely important area of development. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, filling in as host for Callum Jaspin, who is currently enjoying long evening strolls on Mexican beaches and vast amounts of beverages with small umbrellas. That's what we think. Anyway, joining me today for the news chat is event content curator Diana DiCecco, DDC. Hello. Hello. I thought I was filling in for Damo. I actually, uh, Damo, for Callum. I'm feeling pressure. I'm feeling pressure to represent for Melbourne right now. We're so. all filling in for Callum. He's, he's got very, <laughs> very large shoes to fill. No, I'm just also, filling in from a Melbourne perspective. <laughs> also filling in for Callum Jasper then is uh, Kalila Welch. Kalila, joining us today. How are you? I'm well. I have to say, Damo, I'm a big fan of the pun you managed to tie in there in your intro. So well done on that. Thank you. If I don't get a dad joke in every one of the Mumbrella casts, I'm really not doing my job. We've got a limited amount of time today to get through two fairly chunky topics in the news. So let's get straight into it. Recently, Mumbrella covered in detail what we are now referring to as Pitchapalooza, essentially a situation at the moment where a lot of key brands in market are searching for new agency partners. In some cases, the current partners have been invited to pitch again. It created a lot of discussion around whether much of this was price-driven given the current economic circumstances. On Wednesday, Mumbrella covered two stories from agency leaders, Dan Monheit and Ben Skelsey, respectively. And now Monheit runs agency Hard Hat, while Skelsey is a local representative for Huge. Uh, They had different perspectives relating to pitches and new business methodology. Monheit suggested that agencies need to be willing to drop out of pitches that are disappointing, while Skelsey said agencies need to action new ways of working and really bake them into the business rather than just talking about them. DDC, as the former CMO here, you are probably the best person to start with. Coming from the other side, what's your perception of the pitch at the moment. Dan was pretty critical at times about how they're currently working. Yeah, and and look, I I really do understand both sides of of the story here. Um, There is definitely an assumption um, from that I think clients don't really realise that at the end of the day, not all agencies actually want to work for you. Um, And it's a harsh reality. And I think... um, I think clients actually suffer suffer from that obsession that just like with customers, you know, we tend to think that customers think about our brands all the time and, you know, we're front of mind and depending on the category, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Um, but we think that all agencies want to work for us and we think that by being invited to um, to the pitch that it's a, it's a, it's, it must be a great thing for them. Who doesn't want new business? But the reality is just like Dan um 
mentioned that there are certain aspects that whether it be culture fit, perhaps not the right um, value from size of the prize perspective, that is not worth their time. Um, so unfortunately, I do think that there is some devaluation in, in, the, in the agency's time, um, but for the winner, it's going to be worth it in the end. We've spoken about this before on the Mumbrella cast and in the industry in general, uh, the idea of being paid to pitch. Uh, what do you think about that? Is that you've worked for a, a few different brands of various sizes and budgets? Is that a realistic solution to this? I really like it as an idea, and I think it would um, it would help qualm you know um, agencies who you know you're never going to be be able to pay them. Uh, you know that the sum that they actually put in because the amount of effort I don't think clients really realize the effort that goes into um, going to pitch you know we're talking about hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars um, but I, I think being paid for you know even if it's a nominal amount um, that could certainly be one of the ideas that um, that could help bring a bit more uh, balance to, to the amount of effort that goes in now, clearly, you spoke uh, to Dan for this story. What else did he say about the, the current situation? Yeah, so I think uh, my read on it was a lot of it came down to communication issues. So a lot of agencies were going in not understanding what exactly they're pitching for, whether that's they don't know what the budget is on, you know, said project or account, or they don't know, um, you know, exactly what kind of work they're going to be doing for the pitch. And so it was that kind of how much risk do they want to take in terms of those hours they're going to put in, uh, in, in exchange for something that they don't actually know the value of for their business. Um, and I, yeah, I think it just came down to a matter of, as you said, DDC, some clients maybe not fully understanding the extent of work that goes into it. Um, and something that Dan said that I thought, um, was quite poignant is that the sale is in the, sorry, the sample is in the sale which basically meant that, you know, if there's a lack of communication, there feels like maybe a lack of, you know, mutual understanding or respect in that pitch process, what is that relationship going to look like down the track? And I think that that was where he was saying, if you're not feeling like you're, you're getting something out of it or you're not feeling like you're being treated fairly um, or clued in on what's happening, then maybe you don't want to pursue that because it could just cause more pain down the track. You know, that's an interesting point to pick up on that understanding. DDC, I want to throw back to you, kind of based off something that Ben Skelsey told me for another story that we ran this morning. Now, Ben was talking uh, particularly in relation to agency promises and, and talking to the talk in, in terms of what they're offering and, and how they offer it, but not necessarily walking the walk. Now, huge uh, is a, a global agency which leverages uh, expertise uh, across different geographies. So if you're an Australian client of HUGE, you could be working with HUGE staff all over the world, not just in Australia. But his uh, statements were essentially saying that, you know, you really got to bake this style of working or any new style of working well and truly into the agency DNA and you've really got to believe in it and use it and go far beyond just the talk of, of you could potentially do it. It sounds like there's a lot of talk in pitches, a lot of promises in pitches about what agencies can potentially do without necessarily uh, being confident 
that they can do it or potentially having ever tried it uh, before. DDC, have you ever experienced that? Uh, and I'm not asking you to name names because that could be deadly, but have you ever experienced that sort of um, situation in pitches where, you know, you've come up against agencies suggesting they can do one thing, but the reality of it is that that was just a statement in the, I guess, in the heat of the moment based on, you know, the clients, what the client says they need, not really matching what the agency can deliver. Look, I have come across it and we will avoid any defamation cases on this podcast. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, it, it, comes, it comes out in the wash pretty quickly when someone's promised something they can't actually deliver and then you'll find them tend, they tend to be scrambling um, and client will sense very quickly that something's amiss. You know, the, one, of, one of the things that I learned to do very early in my career is they have, you know, agencies tend to have what they call um, like a, a pitch team not all agencies do it, um, but the pitch team are the sales team and they come along and they can sell, you know, they can sell ice to the Eskimos. Um, one of the things I learned to do early in my career is ask the question, is this a pitch team or are these, is, is this the team that's actually going to work on my business? Um, and the answer to that has changed dramatically over time. So it used to be, this is the pitch team. Um, now I think agencies go in with, hey, if we win this account, at least one or two people from this team must be on the account. Um, so you'll tend to find that at least they can deliver that bit. Um, as far as delivering what, you know, selling the goods, I, I think most agencies have really good ethics and there aren't many that come along and, you know, promise the world they can't. Um, I, I have had agencies turn around and say, hey, we can't do that, but we could try this or we could put you in touch with the right people. Um, and I think that's a much more sensible way to approach it. The other thing they could probably do is look at perhaps trying to, uh, formalize, you know, how how to go to pitch and include all the services in a way that's more standardized for the client so that the client understands. Because you've got to remember from client side, you're being pitched by X amount of agencies and everyone's got a slightly different approach, which is unique to them and part of their DNA. And I get it, but it's not always, you're not always comparing apples with apples. So, you know, in the UK, I think it was um, the IPA actually developed some some guidelines around, you know, a best practice guide to, you know, selecting an agency. There's some basics in there. Um, I'd love to see something that's um, a little more comprehensive and robust, but we would need one of the major associations in like the AMI, ADMA or something like that, MFA, to come along and get get agency side together and say, let's all agree on some basics and, and the, the, a really good way to move forward because otherwise there is just no way um, – a client would um, a client's always going to come to you with with their their preferred way. So the only way to really move that process along is, I think, a revolt from agency side to say this is the way it's done. Let's just test my knowledge quickly. IPA, uh, am I correct in saying the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising? In correct. The UK? Correct. Sorry. Go. Look at that. I'm getting the wind up from Kalila. So I just wanted to throw you one more quick question, uh, DDC. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, um, the article with Ben Skelsey again, uh, now he was suggesting uh, to a question that I asked him about, do Australian clients welcome an agency that is very upfront about uh, using global talent to service a local brand? You've worked some, some, for some very historic Australian brands in particular. 30-second uh, answer from you, DDC. 
would an agency that leverages its global talent working for the local brand, would that excite you or would that make you nervous? That would excite me as long as there are two two provisors. A, they need to understand the local market and B, they need to be able to work in our time zone. Excellent. Well, the, there you go. Done. I no, saved this 10, 20. 10 seconds. And Ben now probably wishes that you were still actually a, a CMO at Brand. But anyway, I digress. Let's move on. Up next, can Twitter shake the blues? Figures released by SimilarWeb on Monday painted a gloomy picture for Elon Musk's Twitter blue subscription product after the official end of Twitter's legacy verification program last week. The research found that Twitter users were more likely to quit the platform entirely than pay the US $8 per month to get the blue tick on their profile. In March alone, a million Twitter users deactivated their account compared to the 116,000 who confirmed signing up to Twitter Blue, while new account sign-ups sat around 3 million. It comes after a significant amount of negative press for Twitter lately, including the ABC reported reporting that it had given blue ticks to deceased celebrities, including Anthony Bourdain, Michael Jackson, Chadwick Boseman, and Kobe Bryant. Mashable reporting that it was rewarding blue ticks to the most anti-blue tick Twitter users, and The Guardian saying that almost every celebrity user with more than a million followers would have complimentary blue ticks. DDC, can anyone trust Twitter and Musk at the moment? I'm talking about everyone here, including brands and users, because if you're running a subscription product, you want the users. And at the same time, that can't be all of your revenue. You still have to get advertising on board. It seems like there's a question mark for both brands and users here. 100%. So no, I don't think people can trust the platform or Musk at this point. Um, it's actually one of the first platforms that I've pulled away from in from an advertising perspective. Um, but gosh, I feel like getting the popcorn out with regards to watching you know, the drama ensue. Every week there is something um, that's going terribly wrong uh, over there and I'm, I'm just not convinced it's a platform for the future, but time will certainly tell. Is this savable, do you think, from a brand perspective for advertisers uh, in Australia in particular, do you think there's still reason to be looking at the opportunities that Twitter is providing in terms of audience or are there just so many opportunities out there that you may as well just uh, put your investment somewhere else? It's interesting. If this turned around, I think it would be one of the biggest and best turnaround stories we've seen for for a very long time. What I do find interesting is that there are still a couple of industries that are very centric around Twitter. So there's tech, there's even legal following. Like there are certain groups that are still very Twitter centric. So unless they pack up and find somewhere else, I think there's probably some, there are some opportunities still. Um, but I think they're very, uh, very industry specific. I'd be challenged um, to, to to find a brand that would put Twitter as their first premier uh, channel to market at this point. Look, I'm just going to throw this in there as well. A lot of commentary coming from US technology reporters has been very interesting in the, pointing out the fact that while this is turning into uh, quite the the circus. Shamozzle, let's use that. I was going to use something else uh, that started with the S, but uh, we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, the reality is the, it still has to be acknowledged that the management before Elon Musk 
took over Twitter wasn't doing a great job either. So unfortunately for Twitter and fans of Twitter and users of Twitter, it just hasn't been an exceptional um, service for, for quite some time now. But uh, look, that's uh, that's not really saying a, a lot at the moment. Unfortunately, it hasn't necessarily gotten any better since Elon has taken it over, particularly from a brand and marketing perspective. Coming up after the break, DE and I expert and Mumbrella 360 keynote speaker Azure Antoinette joins the podcast. This is a must listen to, so do stay tuned for that. Joining me today on the Mumbrella cast, a very special guest, one of the keynote speakers at this year's Mumbrella 360 conference. Uh, please welcome to the Mumbrella cast, Azure Antoinette. How are you? Damien, I'm good. How are you? Not as good as you, I don't <laughs> think. You are You are a, an absolute immense uh, energy system oh. in yourself. Uh, now, you're probably not a household name necessarily in the media and marketing industry sure. in Australia. Yeah. We want to change that with yeah. Mumbrella 360. I have, I'm pretty confident we're going to. <laughs> awesome. Um, but why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and essentially why why we're getting you up on stage at Mumbrella 360. Yeah, you know, Damien, it's it's good to it's good to be here. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. I am I am really looking forward to Mumbrella 360 for for a myriad of reasons. But I think the thing that has been the most engaging for me is being able to have this global conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, um, people and culture, uh, workplace, lifestyle, all of these different conversations that really need to be had about what it's like to be a human in the workplace. And I think the thing that I am hoping to get across at, at, at Mumbrella 360 is, is that it doesn't matter where you are in the process, in the journey, in the fight, in the in the realization that you may not be doing your absolute best as a brand, um, and maybe you're doing okay externally to your consumers. Maybe inside your workplace isn't isn't the space that you were hoping to curate. This this is an opportunity to to start again. This is an opportunity to listen to conversation around how it might come across, how things might be interpreted, how mass media plays such a big role in the lived and shared experiences of everyone. So my my hope is to continue in my work in DEI to break it outside of its box, whether that's by name or silo. I want people to get behind the concept that this isn't about shaming or cancel culture or woke versus not woke. This is about encouraging people to be the best, most considerate individual that they can. That is my goal. Now, you've worked with a huge amount of very big, well-known brands, both in the States and in Australia around this. Uh, we won't so much talk about that, but we'll talk about the principles sure. as such and, and the large topics, which we in the Australian industry, I feel, are, are at the beginning, perhaps, of a journey which is going to be challenging. Like, let's just put that straight out there. It's going to be hugely challenging. So I wanted to ask you, 
with that experience you've had in the US and you're now basing yourself in Australia for a little while anyway, which yeah. is great to have you here, of course. Yeah. Uh, what differences are you seeing, if any, between your experiences in the US and what we see here in Australia? I think that's a really solid question. I think that, um, unfortunately, there is there is still such a massive need um, for brokerage in this in this space. There is a need for facilitation. There is a need for accountability. Um, whilst brands in in the states may be dealing with one set of issues it is not dissimilar to my clients in the UK or our clients that I have here. There, there is a hurting. There is a hurting and a lack of understanding and acknowledgement. Where I find the majority of the issues come from is the value or the definition of language. That, that for me seems to be one of the largest things. The, the other section is having to understand or be educated on the lived experience of a minority versus a majority. And that can, that can encompass and truly encapsulate almost any person in the world. At some stage, they are not the majority figure, whatever that is. There, there are so many spaces that we forget to assign intersectionality that we forget to ask or we just assume. And in that assumption, there can be a lot of hurt there. There can be a lot of harm there. So I don't, I, to, to truncate my answer, there, there aren't a lot of differences. The United States is very good about talking about itself. They're very, very excited about themselves. So let me... Delve a bit deeper sure. into two of those things that you've just said there, sure. the, the, the latter part, yep. but also uh, the discussion yeah. part, sure. uh, talking to those people and involving them in the process, whoever they are, whatever mm. group they happen to be, sure. uh, and getting their opinions and their thoughts and their needed actions. Mm. Because I feel in the Australian media and marketing scene, and we're we're openly struggling sure. with a lot of very serious challenges sure. at the moment uh, across a number of areas, whether that be uh, First Nations people, yes, of whether course. that's women in the media and marketing yes. system, yes. whether that's uh, people with a variety of abilities sure. and knowledges. Sure. There's a lot to unpack with that. Now, I would potentially argue that it's easy for us to say here is the solution hmm. or we're doing something. We are, and I, I use air quotes here. Yes. We are doing <laughs> something. Yes. And the people who are putting together what we are doing are not necessarily connected strongly enough with what needs to be done. And they're not asking the right people. They're not opening up the conversations necessarily like you've suggested that in your experience they need to do. Mm -hmm. How do we start those conversations? How do we actually get them involved? You know, it's really, I, I suppose that if I, I had the roadmap on that, um, things, things might be moving faster for the clients that, that I engage and that engage me. I, 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 I truly believe that there is an inherent fear around diversity, equity, inclusion, whatever they, those that are nervous or scared of it or frustrated about it, 
which comes from a lack of understanding. I believe that we as a society globally have gotten very uh, comfortable throwing around language without actually understanding the content or context. We are great in marketing at doing that. We are like heavens. And then people just start using terms. So gaslighting becomes like the new it girl or narcissism or um, what's another one? Uh, Microaggressions, things along these lines that, that have their own history, that have a direct pain point, that have a direct use case, but everyone has started to just kind of volley it out there. So then we've now, we've come up with more departments. We've come up with more affinity days. We're, we're talking about more hashtags or trending topics or blog articles as a result of people's either innate fear that they are going to be canceled if they don't speak it, brands being very nervous about a call out, or people wanting to showcase that they too have a voice and a platform because they aren't being heard in a, in a, in a greater space. Both of those scenarios have danger to them. Both of those scenarios have power to them as well. So I, I don't know if I could give you a, this is how we get people involved. This is what you make them do because the, the thing that must be present in any situation, if it is a massive global corporation, if it is a mid-sized business that is very consumer loved and recognized, that really doesn't matter. If there isn't a desire that is true to want to do something about it, you will get what, you know, the majority of us have seen in the last four years, which is a lot of chatting and a lot of strange events and very weird LinkedIn articles and strange awards mm. for, I can't put, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I think that we have to be careful about praising basics. And that for me, that for me is something that I'm, I'm really trying to wrap my head around about how to help companies and brands tell the right story. And that's a really, really interesting area. I wrote an article a, a week or two ago now about uh, what uh, one of the very one of the leading marketers in our industry, uh, Mark Ritson, calls mm-hmm. a purpose wank. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's beautiful! It's beautiful, beautiful terminology. I love, I love it. It's so poetic. That's so nice. <laughs> that was really nice of you to pull that out. I love that. Be- beautiful terminology. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it connects a lot with what we're talking about here in terms of there's a vicious cycle mm. that we're arguably caught in the middle of at the moment sure. of talk and a need to talk, an inherent need to talk. Because as you mentioned before, if you are not seen to be talking about whatever it happens to be in the myriad areas at the moment, yeah. which are contentious yeah. and need to be resolved, but don't look like they're going to be resolved at any time soon. If you are not actively talking in that space, mm you're seen to be doing nothing. Right. You're not seen to be an ally, which is right. also what your Mumbrella 360 right. uh, topic is, is going to discuss. But right. how do we get ourselves out of that cycle and move into the action phase and not be so nervous, so worried sure. about that phase? It, it, I, I, I think that I am trying to also understand how those two truths, mm. you know, can can coexist because for a large brand, you know, you, you've got 
you have a hierarchy, you have a, an enormous amount of sign-offs because there is litigation, because there's liability, because there are things we need to be aware of and awareness that we, we need to be sure that we do not offend. What I find happens so often is that by the time you get to the end of the T's and C's and you get it through HR, then it goes to legal, then it goes back to ops. Then they're like, oh, yeah, oh tell Debbie we're not going to be able to do it this quarter. Oh, we want to do it. We care. We love, we can't, we can't do it because Sean's out and this, and you're just like, I don't know what you're saying, Rob. I don't. I don't know who's Elaine and why are there 700 people CC'd on this initiative? So I find that the bureaucracy, which is necessary for large organizations, stops them from doing anything. There, there just isn't an action. And so we end up in this space where we either find ourselves on that eve of pre-COVID, completely unbeknownst to what was getting ready to befall the entire world, or we find ourselves where we are right now and people have a bit of a lethargy and some apathy and we're not really talking about the thing that happened that disrupted the entire ecosystem. So people have come back a bit unhinged. People have returned to a place different than how they left and, and the market is trying to find space for that. The media is trying to understand how not to alarm, but also to engage. And then, you know, the, 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 the events and the entertainment is like, okay, well, well, we're back at it. Well, let's get to it. And, and there's this whole space that is just very gray, very murky, very cloudy inside of that is an enormous group of people who aren't being heard for whatever that ailment and that pain point is. I was hoping as I'm sure a lot of us were, that we we were going to learn some lessons. And I can say for myself, transparently, there's so many things that I thought about when the pandemic was happening that, that I said to myself, you know, Azure, if we come out of this, I'm going to remember this moment and I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. And those things I have forgotten. Mm. Those things I have moved on from because all of the things that were stripped from all of us kind of came back cascading in a bunch of different ways and there was no real call to action. So what I'm dealing with here living in Australia, I am I have friends fighting to get through legislation on the front lines for the consistent shootings in the states. Mm -hmm. You know, for this young man that is fighting for his life, um for knocking on the wrong door. These conversations yep. are happening concurrent with other friends who are performing at Coachella. So I am still trying to wrap my head around that. And here, here we have a massive opportunity to listen to the people of this nation that were here first. Here we have a massive opportunity to say, what can we do for you? How, how, how may we serve you best aside from an acknowledgement, aside from something that does not feel like it may be helping you generationally? And I think to myself in those moments, the fact that we have to vote on it makes me nervous. It that 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 feels sad. A hundred percent. So here's a, a, a possibly a contentious question. Sure. Um, and, and a difficult one. That even I have been sort of struggling with yeah. uh, as well in terms of my actual opinion on yeah. this one. Sure. Do we really want change? Oh, Damien, I would love nothing more than to tell you yes. 
but I, I do not find that I struggle with this question. I do not believe that we do. Mm. I cannot speak individually because we are not a monolith in any group, all women, all men, all anything, but people, it is the thing that disrupts everyone. No matter what age you are, there are very few people I've met in the world who are like, oh, I'm cool with change. It doesn't matter. Maybe you're not upset, but you're kind of like, oh, man, everybody experiences mm. disappointment. The disappointment comes from an unmet expectation. An unmet expectation is change. You know, like the, when you break down the algorithm to why that happened, it's because you were expecting this thing to happen, but then something else eventuated, which was different than what you were expecting because that was a change. That whether it was communicated, non-communicated, implied, whatever it is, I believe that we are not a society. We are not in a space in this time where we can handle it. It does not mean that we don't know it's best for us. But if you asked me if the human condition desires to be different, I don't know. Do we need to? Sure. We all know that. We, we, we know those things. We've known what we've needed to do since before we could even communicate. So then you, you don't want to go to bed. You, you have to. You know that you're tired. You want to fight it. Fine. We've got little ones. You've got children, nieces, nephews, whatever. You understand what that's like. No, you can't have any more candy. Of course. You know, they're not going to tell you that they're raging from the inside and they're getting ready to pass out and hit the deck. But they just, they would like another Snicker bar. They, they you know, that's what it is. So we, we do not, we don't, we don't know how to innately do what's good for us. We, we know what we what we want, how we rally, what we rebel against. We have this innate desire for those of us that have a personality type that likes a challenge to just say, if you tell me to go right, I'll make a vehement left just to spite, right? So there's all of this stuff inside of the conversation around supremacy, around diversity, equity, and inclusion that has nothing to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, people are rallying and fighting against and screaming for it for reasons that aren't communicated. Mm. And maybe some of them, those reasons, they don't even know. That's generational. That's that's something that is a taught bias. You know, so we are, I, I, love, I love a good Gandhi quote. I do. I love a motivational square on Instagram just as much as However many people like them, I just, I'm like, how many more times are we going to post the sunset view with the quote and still not do any of the things? Like, just, I just, we have to stop putting the quotes up, you know, but stop. I've got to say, and we had a great conversation a week or two ago, a very long conversation yeah. about this. I can't see you as the type of person with a huge amount of motivational posters oh, up in your wall. Oh, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a, it's a tough rally. That's a tough one for me. Cause I'm like, I don't know what that's saying. I don't understand. I've gotten very spectrum as I continue to get older. Like I am not able to um, moderate my shoulds and could have as well. And, and maybe that's, that's to some benefit. It could have to do with me having a, a cognitive disability. It could be my neurodivergence. It could be having ADHD and trying to process that being a late diagnosed adult. Like, but I, I have less bandwidth than I, I even sometimes can process. And so I find myself very jaded and blocked from conversations that I should be open to having. Let me talk to you about that a bit more, sure. more generally yeah, as yeah, well, because that kind of connects with what you were saying before also. I wanted to ask you previously, because we are at such 
an early phase yep. of recognition yep. of these challenges and discussion around these challenges and then arguably not at the action stage mm. of these challenges. Are we and both sides, all sides, no matter what um, angle yep. you are coming at, whatever challenge from, yep. is there too much emotion currently from all sides or is that a good thing or is there not enough? Um that's a really that's that's a really solid question. You know, there are um there's so many specific examples my mind goes to when you ask me that. I can see mm. a myriad of headlines. I can see a flurry of news sticks um and posts around this. And and what I always try to do in this space, especially in my work is put myself in the position of those affected, of those wronged, of those treated with malfeasance, and think to myself, if that were you, Azure, would you then be all right with somebody telling you, you know, calm down? Mm. If in fact this were you, if in fact you had been aggressed and severely mistreated are are you then are you then so arrived that you can then pack your emotion into a place until it is warranted i think that whilst i can pull many quotes from different scholars international we have to we do have to give the human experience its own identity. I believe that we, whilst, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old and, you know, you're, you, when you grow up, there are these markers, no matter what society you're in, where you live, you know, by, by this age, you should be doing this. And, and by this age, you should have accomplished these things. And, and, and they say that when you get to this age, these things will happen, Wh whatever that is. And, and, and I don't strongly live by those, by those ideals, but we're very set on the archetype. We're very set on, I'm this type of person. This is my, this spit this out. I entered this data and it told me I'm this. There's also a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy. There's also a lot of psychosomatics. There's a lot of science around how powerful the mind is. You know, So there are ways in which that can benefit and harm you. And I think that if we allowed people an authentic experience and did not shame them for that, we as a culture globally could then make consideration and compassion as powerful as leadership and stern guidance. But it's seen as this weakness to be considerate and compassionate. Then you become overwrought and emotional. And I think to myself, especially when it comes to marketing and DEI in the big corporate space, that's where I have ended up because HR has been singing that. HR has, human resources has, you know, God bless the folks and whatever you believe in because human resources, I come from HR and that is a thankless, it's really, really difficult. And so there is, there is equity built in to the actual definition 
or the, the, the expanded acronym itself, which is human resources. That's what this is about. And so we're, we're, we're talking about trying to make sure that people are calm about the death of loved ones, about age care, about not being able to access or have agency to get health care that is needed. It's not always a socioeconomic issue. It could just be that something isn't available. There, there is a lack of recognition around accessibility. And for someone that has a disability that physically presents at times and I'm not able to walk for days at a time, I need to know that I don't then have to apologize to a building that doesn't think it's convenient because it doesn't fit in their profit and loss statement for the quarter. That, that is terrible. You should not then have to apologize if you have an audio sensory issue or, or you're not able to enjoy things the way the majority does. So you need a bit of a concession. There should be grace there and it shouldn't be a pity there shouldn't be a woe is me. It is just, we should also praise differences, which is another intersection of diversity itself. To be diverse is to praise difference, not indifference. To praise, celebrate, and motion forward the beauty of difference, the beauty of choice, the beauty of variety, call it whatever you like. But it does not have to then be painful. And we have, we have allowed ourselves to let mass media, um, uninformed antics, and things that are not human to take over a very human space. And, and the, whole, the whole beauty of human beings as, a, as, as an entire part of our world, of our ecosystem, of the universe that we all live in together, is that we are the emotional ones, is that we're able to moderate extreme joy and passion and, and cheer and cry if something is beautiful. We, we, are, we are able to get outraged when there has been a wrongdoing. We, we are able to champion and rally. We can do those things. The rest of the biological space doesn't have that ability to communicate like we do. So I am here to praise that heartbeat. I'm here to echo and champion the folks who say, like, let's take it back or let's let's figure this out or or what are we going to do or what needs to be done? That's that's where we that's where we got to motion that because emotion is good. Emotion is good, and there are very few people in the world that if you rattled off the latest 10 headlines, if it happened to them personally, there are very few people in the world that don't have that, that disorder that doesn't allow them to process, you know, sheer pain or terror or grief that would say like, oh, no, I, I, I could deal with that plausibly. I could, I could look up that. I could look at that objectively. Like, you, you, you can't. If you, if you dare to be honest with yourself, there is so much in the media that if that were happening to you, I guarantee you probably wouldn't have as much poise as the people that you say are unruly. Now, as I expected, we have gone over time already and <laughs> Kalila, our producer, is going to uh, have some stern words for me, but I, I can't end without asking you a, a, a more personal question sure. about your work. Sure. 
as I said at the beginning, you, you work with a range of brands, some very, very well-known brands yeah. Yeah. across Australia, the States, the UK, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And again, without naming names, but I wanted to ask you, how has your dealings been with these brands on a personal level? How do you feel when you talk to them? How do you feel that they listen to you because of course they're coming to you yeah. for advice they're yeah. seeking you out sure sure how do you feel that you're being heard in these conversations there are so many examples over the past 15 years that i have been so touched and so surprised in the best way um and i'm grateful for that um in that same respect there are there are brands that have just broken my heart um, because you get to the point where you understand that it is, it is entirely an exercise. Um, and, and, it, and, and the, the onus, the responsibility is on me at that point as a service provider um, to, to make sure that I am aligned with something I know that I can be proud of um, without always having to compromise the fact that this is my work that I do for a living. And um, I am trying to, to move into the space where I am using my experiences to help fuel my conversations, my ability to facilitate, my ability to navigate. I think that if we do not have those experiences that take our breath away, that break our hearts, we, we are not, we are not, we are not operating at our full potential. Um, so I am trying to count it all as joy. I'm trying to become a better steward of my time and be more discerning in, in meeting these clients and doing the research and discovery and just kind of finding out, you know, where, where it may not be obvious that they want to be a company that 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 is a safe passage and a in a beautiful place for people of of all backgrounds to flourish but maybe they're just missing a few key steps and those few key steps I can help with you know so i i'm here for that and i i am grateful damian regardless of if they knew exactly why they called or maybe they called with other intentions we all end up coming to the same space during the course of the work. And that's a beautiful thing that, that is a blessing and that I am really, um, I'm really proud of. We have run out of time as you're Antoinette. It's been awesome talking to you. Yeah. Thankfully we get a bit more of yes, this. Yes, uh, so yes. for anyone who, and I would firmly recommend that you do wants to hear more from you, Umbrella 360, yeah. uh, July 18, 19, 20. Be there. Yes, absolutely be there. It's going to be a good session. We're going to have a really good one. It's, it's going to be, be a lot of energy. I feel there's going to yes. be a lot of energy in this. Yes, and it's right before the World Cup starts. It's going to be big. So it's going to be hype. It's, it's going to be, be a big time. And I think I think we're going to put you on in the morning and yeah, I think you're going yeah. to get the crowd going. Listen, be I big. have been told I am. I do the morning stuff, you know, like I, I, I rally them up. We There's get no hyped. need for caffeine. No, we're good. You just come ready. Go on. Gosh, you. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I love it. All Excellent. right. Thanks so much for being on the Mandela My pleasure. Cast. I'll see you soon. All right, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Throw us a follow or subscribe if you're enjoying. And for more podcast content, we'll be back on Thursday with the evening Mumbo Live from Mumbrella Audio Land. 
Big thank you to Azure Antoinette for joining us and dropping a fair few truth bombs I think we all needed to hear. And as well, a thanks to Diana and Kalila for joining me today. Thank you, Damo. See you at Audio Land, people. Yeah, thanks, Damo. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Yeah.